What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmidt. It is Wednesday, so it is all hoops all day here on the Shooting the Schmidt podcast. We'll get into the NFL trade deadline stuff on Friday. Today is all hoops. James Harden got traded. You know we're talking about that. You know we're talking about Wimby. It's a really good, fun, exciting show. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Dropped the bomb yesterday on James Harden being traded from the 76ers to the Clippers. I guess he, he would have dropped it on Monday night. Because I remember waking up on Tuesday morning. Like, you know what? Who cares? Not a big deal. We knew this was going to happen at some point. I saw the trade. I was like, eh, whatever. Uh, if you haven't heard the details, the Clippers received James Harden, P.J. Tucker, Philip Petrusev, however you say that, and a future first-round pick. The 76ers have received Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Robert Covington, Kenyon Martin Jr., and a 2028 first-round unprotected pick from the Clippers, a first-round pick swap, and two future second-round picks. So now, the Clippers don't have a first-round pick until 2030, so this better work. We'll get into whether or not I think it's going to work here in a minute. Vegas thinks that it will, for some reason. But then again, those buildings in Vegas aren't built because of... They aren't built for nothing, okay? They make a lot of money off these people. And Vegas thinks that the Clippers got the better of the deal, at least for, like, immediate impact, right? So Clippers, their odds for winning the title went from 18-1 to to 12-1. to Meanwhile, the 76ers, they went from 20 to 1 to 30 to 1. The Clippers now have the fifth best odds to win the title. They're behind the Suns, the Nuggets, the Bucks, and the Celtics, which is absolutely ridiculous. I just I I can't fathom the idea of this new look Clippers team being the third best team in the Western Conference. Okay, when we look at how loaded the West is, they're not better than the Nuggets. They're not better than the Suns. I think that's pretty cut and dry. Vegas agrees with me there. Where Vegas disagrees with me, I don't think the Clippers are better than the Mavericks. I don't think the Clippers are better than the Warriors. I don't think the Clippers are better than the Kings. I don't think they're better than the Thunder. I don't think they're better than the Pelicans. That is seven teams right off the rip that's are not that that are clearly better than the Clippers. The Clippers aren't better. They're not better than any of those teams. That's seven already. Like, come on now. They're going to be a playing team more than likely. And I remember at first when I saw the trade. If you follow me on Twitter, I tweeted out a thing like, "Oh, like not too too bad for as of right now." Remember, Clippers, no first-round pick until 2030. This better work. But is it really going to work? There are a lot of issues with this Clippers team. Let's start with the defensive side of the ball. They don't defend well enough to make a deep playoff run. They don't defend well enough to beat the Pelicans. They don't defend well enough to beat the Warriors. They don't defend well enough to beat the Nuggets or the Suns or the Kings. They don't defend well enough to beat any of those teams in a seven-game series. Defensively, they aren't they aren't there. 
Okay, when we look at Kawhi Leonard, he looks good, but this isn't 2019 Kawhi Leonard who led the Toronto Raptors to an NBA championship. Okay, he's not the same guy he was when he first showed up at the Clippers facilities. Paul George off to a good start, but he's he's gonna get hurt. He does every year. This is what happens year in and year out. Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, they miss games. When those guys miss games, you're gonna rely on Russell Westbrook and James Harden who worked so well together in Houston that after one year of playing together, they both left. They don't like playing together. And I feel bad for Russell Westbrook because he's pretty valuable, I think, to this Clippers team. I think he brings a lot of energy, very positive guy, rebounds, plays defense, does all those things. But defensively, this team is severely lacking. The center room is not great. It's Zubac. And Mason Plumley, like, come on now. You're not going to stop Jokic with that front line. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Offensively, and during the regular season, though, the Clippers should be fun if James Harden is willing to take on more of a playmaking role. I think it's pretty clear he is at best the third option. He probably is the third option for the Clippers. I think he's going to understand that. He understood that in Brooklyn, where he took on more of a playmaking role when he was with the Nets for, you know, five seconds. And he was a lot of fun to watch then, right? The issue is he's going to get sick of not getting his numbers. And he'll be upset. And we've seen this happen. That's what happened in Brooklyn. It's part. That's a large part of why he left. And then in Philadelphia where things appeared to be going really, really well, facilitating, setting up Joel Embiid. Things looked good. Then he wasn't named an all-star. That upset him, so he changed the way he played. He took more shots, didn't facilitate as much, and Philly went downhill. And the same thing is going to happen here. He may come in. He's going to be a good sport to start. He's going to pass the ball. We're going to sit back and be like, wow, the Clippers, they look pretty good then James Harden isn't going to be selected to be an all-star, and it's all going to go out the window. (laughs) He's not going to get the credit that he feels like he deserves. He's going to get upset. And then this summer, he'll get his money from the Clippers just to force his way out. That is exactly what's going to happen. We've seen it happen over and over again. And the fact that the Clippers gave up this much as the only team in the NBA interested in James Harden First of all, it shows the impatience of owner Steve Ballmer. And second of all, it just shows how good Daryl Morey is at his job. That's what it proves. Moving on to the 76ers, speaking of Daryl Morey being good at his job. They didn't get any immediate assets that excite me. Batum, Marcus Morris, both on their last legs. I think Robert Covington and Kenyon Martin Jr., they're going to be solid pieces off the bench at best. But they don't put them over the top. They don't allow them to compete with the likes of Milwaukee or Boston. The big thing, though, is the added draft capital and getting off P.J. Tucker's contract. Because they got off of Tucker's contract, they are now set to have the most cap space of any team in the NBA this coming offseason. Here's the issue with that, though. Here's like When you read that, you're a 76ers fan, you get excited. You hear that, like, oh, we're going to have cap space. We're going to be able to go out. We're going to be able to get a star. We're going to be able to pay them a whole bunch of money. It's going to be great. We're going to be good next year. We're going to have a legit star to put beside Joel Embiid. Then I started looking at who's going to be available this, this upcoming summer. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George could be available. We've already talked about them. Pascal Siakam, 
OG Ananobi, DeMar DeRozan, and Klay Thompson highlight what is not a great free agency class. Potentially, right? Like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, they could opt back in, all those all those types of things. And like what like I just what's the cap space do for you if these are your options? Not much. You really want to put DeMar DeRozan with Maxi and Embiid, no thank you. Clay Thompson's aging, not the defender that he was. Pascal Siakam, he's improved. Like he's a really good, solid player. I mean, worst comes to worst, if you add him, you feel okay about your quote unquote big three. And I've already said what I've said about Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Um so I think that the hope for Philly would be that there's a, a superstar out there who gets upset. Uh, I believe I believe uh, Donovan Mitchell could also be available this offseason. That sounds right. We know that he doesn't want to stay in Cleveland, so maybe that's who they add. But then again, he and Tyrese Maxey, really, really similar, I would say so. So, I don't know. There's no one out there that really excites me of like, oh, this guy is going to play with Joel Embiid. This is going to be awesome. There's no one out there available like that. And as long as that's the case, as you know, as I've said, the NBA changes really quickly, and you know, superstar could get upset tomorrow, and everything would be different. But until that happens, you feel okay about if you're the 76ers, but you don't feel over the top great about everything that's going on. We're gonna take a short break, and we come back. We're gonna introduce a new segment. We're gonna do every Wednesday. Can't wait to get into it. We're gonna take a short break, and we'll be right back with more shooting the Schmidt. Victor Wembanyama is the most anticipated NBA prospect we've seen since LeBron James. And because of that, we are now going to have what is called Wimby Wednesday. Every Wimby Wednesday, I'm going to be updating you on his progression, ranking his skills as he's shown them and as he improves them throughout the season. I mean, look, there's no secret how anticipated his appearance in the NBA has been. Okay, he's the reason the NBA streamed non-NBA basketball games that were played in France on their app last year. He's going to be one of the biggest stories in the NBA all year. And let's be honest, you don't want to stay up really late to watch the Spurs on League Pass. You don't want to do that. That's why I'm here. Tune in every Wednesday. I'm going to tell you all you need to know about Wimby and everything that he does, how he improves. And I'm so excited to track his progress throughout the season. Uh, I've broken his game down into six different categories with how unique he is. I wouldn't be surprised if I added a category every now and then to properly encompass everything that he is as a basketball player. So we're going to start with what I would rank as his worst skills and then move them up to the top. Number six, shooting. This is the worst thing I've seen from him so far. After going three of five from downtown against the Mavericks and on opening night, first game of his career, Wimby's been nothing but disappointing when letting it fly from three ever since. Since then, he is two for 14 on three-point attempts. That puts him at 26% on the season. That's awful. On top of that, he's only shooting 70% from the free throw line. He was at 67% before the Suns game last night. He has to, and I think that he will, improve on his shooting when it comes to his game. I mean, but look, this is a really normal thing. A lot of rookies come into the league and they can't shoot. 
right? And then over time, they improve. So long-term, not worried about it. But as of right now, the shooting needs need, needs some adjustment, adjustments. I think his form looks fine. I think he's going to turn into like a totally fine shooter. The thing that I like, though, is how fearless he is in taking his jump shot. Right, he came out aggressive, looking to score against the Mavs. Did the same thing against the Rockets. He's a little bit more conservative against the Clippers and the Suns, but obviously got it going against the Suns. But he's he's looking to score, right? And I think the most promising thing about his shooting is his mid-range jump shot. He's shooting 43% on shots between 10 and 16 feet away from the basket, and he's shooting 50% on shots between 16 feet and the three-point line. Right, So he can clearly shoot the ball from mid-range. The issue is he's only shooting 18% of his shots from those areas. You know, Meanwhile, 38% of his shots are coming from three. That's an issue. He keeps settling for these three-point shots instead of attacking the rim or pulling it from mid-range because that's what he should be doing because he shoots the ball really well from mid-range. I think he needs to attack more instead of settling for these three-point shots but the jumper looks fine, and I think as the year goes on, he'll get better. And like he's, the jumper looks too good for him to only be a twenty-six percent three-point shooter this year. I think he's going to end up in like the low thirties. He'll be like thirty-two, thirty-three percent, somewhere in that area. Obviously, the Spurs are going to try to work to get him up to more of like a thirty-eight percent three-point shooter. Number five, I put his playmaking right here. When the idea for the segment formed in my brain. I assumed that playmaking was going to be the lowest ranked category, at least to start the season. But if you've watched, he's a good passer. Okay, obviously, you know, the size helps him see over the defense, all that good stuff. The stuff you hear about every tall guy who can kind of pass, right? So the height obviously lets him see over the defense. Um, But the passing is just, it's incredible. Like, we, we had heard about the ball handling ability, uh, but the passing has been much better than advertised. Now, look, he's not, you know, Pistol Pete or Steve Nash or Jokic or anybody like that. But he's clearly an intelligent basketball player. It's clear that he's played a lot of basketball. He finds open players when he's willing to look for them. You know, we talked about how aggressive he was and looking for his shot uh, earlier. Like, that can interfere with his playmaking a little bit. I think that's part of why the assist number is so low. Still, you know, 1.7 per game. Um, which is like, you know, it's not a bad thing that he's looking for a shot. Um, but he's a capable passer, and I think as he gets settled in, the Spurs will undoubtedly be able to run their offense through him at some point. That may not be this year. They aren't asking him to do that yet. Then again, as we all know, it is very early. The issue right now, though, is his decision. It's his decision making. Okay, his decision making is worse than characters in a horror film. Okay, he's averaging a tick under five turnovers a game. Most of the turnovers are because he's trying to make these passes into these really small windows, and it's leading to a lot of turnovers. Um, you know, you hear people say, "You know, this is you know this is America. You know, you may be able to make those passes in France." You know, you hear the announcers say things like that. I don't think the passes that he's making would work in France. I got to be honest with you. I mean, these windows are tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, I like though. A lot of his turnovers come off of guys cutting to the rim. And so I like that he's looking for cutters. He just needs to be a little bit more attentive to the passing windows whenever he's trying to set up one of his teammates. But unselfish player, just got to be a little bit more cautious when he's passing the ball around. But the, but that ball handling and everything, really good. 
as I said, Spurs will undoubtedly be able to run their offense through him at some point. Number four, I've got his rebounding. Got to be honest, when a man stands at seven foot four and is only averaging seven and a half rebounds, a, seven and a half rebounds a game, it's kind of disappointing. I kind of expected him to be closer to around the the twelve rebounds a game mark. Uh, that hasn't been the case. Uh, part of that is because he is defending power forwards, so he spends a little bit more time on the perimeter. That makes it you know different, a little more difficult to grab rebounds. Um, if he spends more time playing center throughout the season, his rebounds per game are going to go up. Even though I'm disappointed. In the rebounding through, you know, four games, it's fun to watch him rebound. It's just, it's really weird. I've never been like, I like watching the other team miss so I can see him potentially swoop in and grab this rebound because he reaches up over guys like my dad used to do to me when I was like six years old and we were playing on like the indoor mini hoop, you know? I mean, it's, it's insanely impressive. It's weird just seeing him tower over these guys that we also know were extremely tall. And I think over the years, as he puts weight on, his rebounding numbers, they should go up. He should play more center. I just think right now, he just isn't thick enough to move guys around and really compete for rebounds from like a physicality standpoint. A lot of the rebounds that he's grabbing are just because he's seven foot four and with an eight foot wingspan, right? So we can just kind of reach over guys. But the rebounding will come as he plays more on the interior. Number three, I put his finishing. This is where being seven foot four with an eight foot wingspan really helps. Okay, it allows him to put helpless defenders like Drew Eubanks, if you were watching the game last night, on posters or throw down ridiculous reverse dunks on the baseline like he did against the Rockets. Okay, defenders they have to feel like they're guarding like Mr. Fantastic or something like that when Wimben Yama gets around the rim. On top of that, on top of the excuse me, on top of the go go gadget arms that he has that allow him to finish over defenders, he's got really good touch. You know, he finishes with finesse, uh, uses the backboard well. Just the combination of the soft touch and the ridiculous length that he possesses is why he's shooting 64% from inside of 10 feet. He is near impossible to stop when he gets two feet in the paint. That's part of why earlier when I was talking about the shooting, why I would like to see him attack a little bit more because... The closer he gets to the rim, I mean, the tougher he is to stop. And, you know, when he gets two feet in the paint, that is where he's been the most efficient inside that that 10-foot area. Um, just incredible to watch him finish over defenders, you know, especially the dunk on Drew Eubanks last night. If you didn't see it, go back and find it. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty ridiculous. Number two, second most impressive skill that I've seen him Developed so far is his alien ability. That's what I'm calling it. Still workshopping the name. Any suggestions would be great. This is all the stuff that Wimby does that makes me rewind the TV until my wife gets upset with me. Okay, there are these moments that I see, excuse me, there are moments that I see that reassure me that purchasing NBA League Pass was 100% worth it. He's incredible. Okay, there are these. Obvious things that we see, right? Like, we see the blocked Jabari Smith dunk, right? Uh, That was really impressive against the Rockets. If you didn't see that, um, I mean, it's it's incredible. Fast break, Jabari Smith goes up to punch it. Wimby blocks the dunk, gets knocked back. Jabari Smith grabs the rebound, goes up for a layup. Wimby recovers and blocks it with his left hand. It's incredible. 
Okay, and it's things like that that are really obvious that we see. The poster on Eubanks last night, the reverse dunk that I mentioned earlier, so on and so forth. My favorite thing, though, my favorite thing is because of YouTube TV, I can split screen, right? So I have four games on at once. It's great. Been great for Sundays watching football. Been great for, you know, Tuesday nights watching basketball, whatever. My favorite thing is to put the Spurs game on, on split screen. And then on, like, one of the other three slots that I have, putting, like, for example, the Thunder up. Because then I can watch Wimby and Chet Holmgren or some other unicorn-type big man, right, play side-by-side. And, you know, last night, Shaq said the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, comparing Bol Bol to Wimbanyama saying that they're the same, you know, saying that Wimby isn't the first, you know, seven-foot guy we've seen with guard skills who can shoot the basketball and dribble and do all these different types of things. Bol Bol was. That's not true. They are not the same. And to say things like that just puts into perspective, or it tells me that you haven't watched them side-by-side, side. okay? Because Chet Holmgren, Bol Bol, I think they're really similar Seven-foot guys, guard skills, can shoot the basketball, can handle it, all that kind of stuff. And that's what Wimby is, right? Seven-footer, can handle it, can shoot it, all that kind of stuff. The difference, and when you put guys on split screen and you watch them side by side, you can see this. The difference is the athleticism, okay? Like, let's take Chet Holmgren, good player. And despite being a seven-footer with guard skills, he doesn't sniff Wimby athletically, okay? And that is what separates Wimby from every other seven-footer in the history of the NBA. He's quicker, he's faster, and more explosive. And on top of that, he's four inches taller than almost all of them, okay? If seven-footers with guard skills are unicorns, then Wimby is a Pegasus. If you know what that is, that's the horse with the wings that, that Hercules flies on. Because he soars above all of these unicorns due to his athleticism. He is very different from all these other guys that we've seen, and that's why people have been so excited about him coming to the NBA. Because he's got you know these guard skills and everything. He's 7'4", and he's more athletic than a lot of these other seven-footers who also have guard skills. He is different. The fact that Shaq decided to compare him to Bull Bull is utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. The most impressive thing I've seen, though, from Wimby is the rim protection. And as I say rim protection, it doesn't even feel like the right word. Obviously, he's blocking shots at the rim. We've seen him do it. But it is so far extended out from the rim. He's deterring players from shooting three-point shots. His presence to anyone, anywhere on the floor, is a deterrent to shoot. Where Wherever they are, doesn't matter. The 2.3 blocks per game that he's averaging do not fully encapsulate his impact on the defensive end of the floor. Okay, he is the same, but also the opposite of Steph Curry on defense, right? When we talk about Steph Curry on offense, there is so much gravity that he possesses that the defense knows where he is at all times. The defense shifts towards him. He constantly pulls the defense towards himself. It's the same thing with Wimby, yet also the opposite. 
It's the same in how every offensive player has to know where he is at at all times. But it's different with Wimby compared to every other shot blocker. We're going to step away from the stuff stuff here for a sec. It's different how every other great shot blocker, when a, the only time the offensive player has to worry about the shot blocker is when they are attacking the basket. With Wimby, you're 20 feet away from the hoop, and you have to be wary of where he is due to his length and his clothing speed. So instead of being like Steph Curry in gravity where he pulls everything in, Wimby repels everyone away like the smelly kid in math class that no one wants to sit beside. Okay? I mean, he's, I mean, he blocked two three-point shots last night in the Suns game. That's absurd. Okay, and it looked like Grayson Allen has plenty of space on one. He lines it up, rises up to knock it down. Uh-uh-uh. Wimby, block shot. It's it's ridiculous. The defensive skill that he possesses. And he could very easily be the Steph Curry of defense in terms of this is something that we've never seen before. And I am so excited to see him continue to develop. He's only going to get better. Make sure you're coming back on Wednesdays to hear the updates on Wimpy. Because as I said, you don't want to stay up late watching the Spurs play. That's going to do it here at Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen. I'll be back on Friday talking about trade deadline stuff, along with previewing the weekend and all the football coming up. I'm Jonathan Smith. This has been Shooting the Schmidt. Thank you again for listening. I will talk to you again on Friday.